listening to All the Books, a weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases. This is episode 125, and today we are talking about books being released on September 19th, 2017, and more. I'm Liberty Hardy, here with my fellow podcast, Rebecca Shinsky, and we're coming to you from bookriot.com. Hello, hello. Hi, okay, so enough uh, talk. Uh, tell me about the <laughs> Captain Crunch waffle thing. <laughs> Are you creeping my Instagram again? <laughs> I wouldn't there's, call it creeping. There's a new waffle place in Richmond called Capital Waffles because it's the capital of the state and the waffle place is right down the street from the capital. Um, and they have amazing combinations. I had, I, Amanda and I went with some friends over the weekend and I had the chicken and wafco, which is a waffle with a chicken tender in the middle of it and you roll it up and eat it like a taco. <laughs> This just sounds but, like an idea created by stoners. Is, yeah, is no, it is like, like. <laughs> actually one of my friends has been billing it as uh, like created by stoners for stoners. I yeah. have no idea if the owners of it are stoners or just geniuses, but the chicken tender is breaded in broken up Captain Crunch, <laughs> which uh, you couldn't really taste. The whole combination was amazing, though. Amanda got one that was like a waffle with. I think it had Captain Crunch and blueberries and chocolate syrup and whipped cream. Um, and one of my girlfriends had one that was like th- the waffle and maybe chili and jalapenos and crunched up Doritos on top of it. <laughs> this is just insane. It's they crazy. were probably like an ice cream topping place that went out of business <laughs> and they had like all this leftover stuff. So they're like, let's just put it on waffles. Doritos, jalapenos. It's yeah. pretty genius. Um, if yeah. you want to Google it, it's capital C-A-P-I-T-O-L waffles. Um, enrichment is so, so good. <laughs> but it's not a Captain Crunch eating experience if the roof of your mouth doesn't squeak after. Really. Yeah, yeah. This was the maple the Captain syrup Crunch probably is, helps. The Captain Crunch is like broken up. You know, it's crumbled Captain Crunch. Uh, um, but it did make the, the chicken tenders. Fallen. It made the chicken tenders nice and crunchy. <laughs> amazing. All right. It that's was a, amazing. That's what I wanted to know. Um, yes, that was exciting. Things are happening here in Richmond. It's like a weekly. It's like a weekly segment of what did Liberty see on Rebecca's Instagram this week? Way more well, exciting than the spider last week. <laughs> and the moose. Yeah, this coming week. Moose. Well, tonight Amanda and I are going up to Washington D.C. to see Hillary Clinton on book tour. So I imagine my Instagram will contain some of that before our next show. Um, but since we're already not talking about the new books of the week, let's continue that for just a moment. Last week we talked about Book Riot's new show, Recommended, which is a short podcast each week, about 15 or 20 minutes, that contains two interesting people each recommending a book they love. The first couple episodes are out now. If you haven't taken a listen yet, you're going to have a chance to do that right now. We're going to drop in, as soon as I'm done talking here, a very short teaser for episode one. So what you're going to hear for the next two minutes is the teaser for episode one of Recommended. You can find out more information about it at bookriot.com slash recommended or click the link in the show notes to start listening to new episodes. So without further ado, here is the teaser for Recommended episode one. I think that the great American novel for the 21st century has to be science fiction to some degree. And I think that's because America is a science fictional country. I think it has been for a long time. And so you have to be able to talk about the future. You have to have a, a rigorous vision of the future. If you're just 
sort of dwelling in the past and, you know, turning the same stone over in your hands, you know, again and again and again. I think you can do interesting work that way, but um, it's not the Green American novel. I am convinced that is the real Great American novel for the 21st century. Um, I will not be satisfied until people are reading it in school and writing about it, because I think it has everything to say about America, um, its past, its future, and yeah, it's fantastic. That was amazing! It was so good. <laughs> it's really, so good. like, the part about the robots was my favorite. <laughs> Well, and no one yet has selected your favorite book. Um, so, <gasps> well, let's talk about some new books that could. Yeah, tell me, tell me, we got we have good things this week. We say we, that every week, but hey, <laughs> please allow me to bring the mood down now. Oh with no! A fabulous, beautifully written tragedy. It's called "The Good People," and it is by Hannah Kent. Uh, she wrote Burial Rights mm-hmm. a couple of years ago, which is fantastic. And this one, The Good People, has been nominated for the Walter Scott Historical Fiction Award. It takes place in 1825 in Ireland. And like I said, it's kind of a tragedy. Uh, it's about a woman named Nora. On the first page when it opens, we discover that Nora's husband has died of a heart attack in the field while he's working. Um, they bring him to her. And now she is alone. She has her grandson, who is four years old, but there is something wrong with him. Um, He's four, but he's remarkably skinny. He doesn't talk. He can't use his legs. He screams all the time. Uh, Her her daughter has passed away, and her daughter's husband brought the baby to them and said, I can't take care of him. And now Nora's husband has died, and she's left alone uh, with this child. And the first thing that she does is ask her neighbor to take uh, his name is Mikkel. She asks him to take Mikkel away because she knows that the neighbors are going to be coming to pay their respects and she doesn't want them to see him. Um, and so they have the wake and, you know, people start talking. Uh, one of the, the gentlemen who was out in the field with her husband when he died said that, you know, they were working at the crossroads and he saw some magpies and he saw some fairy lights, you know, when this happened. And he's thinking, like, weird things are going on. Um, and, you know, everybody's, like, sort of, like, talking about, like, what's happening. Meanwhile... You know, Miguel comes back after they're done burying her husband, and it's just too much for her. He, She can't work the fields and milk the cows and do everything. Um, and, you know, it's a very poor time for the country, and people are just barely getting by, or not even getting by, you know, just barely eating. Uh, so she decides to hire a, a young girl to come and live with her and help her take care of Miguel. Um, You know, and while they're visiting the village, you know, Mary starts working for her. She She learns about you know, Nora and her husband, and she hears the stories about, like, what Peter said about the fairy lights, and she also hears people talking about, you know, the neighbor who was taking care of Meikle during the funeral has, you know, said, like, oh, there's something wrong with this child, and people have started talking about that, you know, and saying, like, how bad things have started happening once, you know, she took the child in, like, first her daughter died, and now her husband, and there's something wrong with the child. And to make matters worse, you know, I'm just saying this for your benefit, Rebecca, but uh, Mary is a redhead, which is also... (laughs) Um, just doesn't fly in this village. So, you know, Nora's not afraid of superstition, but, like, every time Mary walks by people, they spit on the ground because she has red hair. You know, so... Awesome. Yeah. So Nora doesn't have a lot going on for her. You know, her life is very hard. She's lost her husband. Um, The people have started spreading rumors. They're saying that he is a changeling, that the fairies have, have swapped out her real grandson, who was at one time, you know, very healthy and talking and walking when he was first born. You know, they've swapped him out you know, and taking him to the fairyland, and 
so this is like, you know, 1825, and it's, people believe this kind of stuff. Like, everybody believes it, you know. There's an elderly woman who lives in the village named Nance, and she supposedly has the cures for these kind of things. She can see the fairy people, the good people, um, and she knows what to do. And she's kind of always been left alone. Like, people don't want to interact with her, but at the other, on the other hand, they, you know, need her help, like, when they have, you know, ailments and stuff like that. Um, and there's a new priest in town. The old priest has passed away. Um, he, the new priest, like, doesn't want any of this. He's like, this is all nonsense what you're doing, you know, and you need to stop. Um, but the people are so superstitious that they're afraid to stop going to Nance and asking her for help. Uh, so, so Nora brings her into the house and asks her to help her because she has a, she thinks she has a changeling child. Um, and, you know, it's, nothing good is, is going to come of, you know, this story, uh, for them, because it's just very sad, and but it's so beautifully written, um, and it's it seems like it, it's it's I think it's based in fact, but it it just seems like this is something that actually happened, and she does such a good job with with the writing. Like I I watched an interview with Hannah Kent, and she talked about how like she really wanted to give readers a sense of the time, so she didn't want readers to think that the villagers were just ignorant, stupid people, you know, like, where the reader is like, well, we obviously know what's going on, and, you know, boy, are these villagers dumb. So she sort of purposely made Meikle's symptoms vague so that no one could, like, pinpoint, like, what it was that was wrong hmm. with him. And she also used, you know, used, uh, it's called sympathetic magic, where it's, like, things that they would perform, but the the idea of the of the things that they were doing, like, this yellow flower, like, might actually, you know, help somebody... But, you know, they think it's because it's yellow and it's got the magic of the sun and it's, like, you know, helping their body, whereas, like, it's actually probably got medicinal purposes. Um, and she tried to make that sympathetic magic as realistic as possible and the things that people would have done back then. And she does a really great job with it. It's just, it's very sad, but it's so interesting. Um, again, it's called The Good People, and it's by Hannah Kent. Awesome. Um, my first book this week, it sounds like it would be a bummer, but it's actually really... I think hopeful, and I found it to be very honest and uplifting. It's a memoir called The Book of Separation by Tova Mirvis, and it's actually a memoir, unlike last week when I called a novel a memoir. Hey, um, why Tova not? Mirvis <laughs> was this week, we are on point for genre <laughs> categorization. Uh, Tova Mirvis was raised in the modern Orthodox Jewish community. There are many varieties and flavors of Orthodox Judaism, and this is the one that she is from. She grew up in a small community in Memphis, Tennessee, um, and and she married a man who was from Boston. They lived in New York for a while. They eventually moved back to Boston and participated in the modern Orthodox community there, um, where people all, like everyone in the community, lives within walking distance of the synagogue because they can't drive cars on Shabbat. So they need to be within walking distance of the synagogue. And it keeps the community close and connected. Um, but Tova for, like, they got married when they were 23, and the action of this memoir takes place in her early 40s. For much of the marriage and her young life and up into her middle age, did not feel like the rules of the community were doing the things that they were supposed to do. Orthodox observance is supposed to be about, you know, observing the rules of God to bring yourself closer to God and to your community, um, and because you believe that those are really the right things to do. But there's a lot of gender inequality. Women aren't really allowed to participate in key leadership roles in the church, um, and she was finding the rules to be 
restrictive, just in a lot of ways. She and her husband had three kids. And when she was 40, she decided that she could no longer live within that community, that it wasn't true to who she was. She didn't actually believe in those things anymore. Um, And she didn't want to stay married to her husband. So they get a divorce and she leaves the Orthodox community and these two big changes happen basically at the same time, like, or one of those things that, you know, happens slowly and then all at once, like when she says out loud that this is what she's doing. So they are, they have separate households, they are sharing custody of their three kids. And the book is about her figuring out who she really is um, outside the context of being told by a religious community who she should be and how she should be and what she should believe. And she runs up against it in all kinds of ways, like, what does the Sabbath look like in her house with her children? How does she want to express that? Um, Should she keep teaching them the teachings of the Orthodox community so that they have consistency, even though she doesn't believe those things anymore? Um, How do you acknowledge different people believe different things, even within our own family? And she struggles with it as between her three kids, one wants to be very observant of the Orthodox rules. One is really pushing against religion overall, and one is kind of too young to know the difference. But if you're making space for yourself to explore, how do you also make space for your family and especially for your children? Um, she and her siblings were raised in this modern Orthodox community. Her parents are a little more liberal, but each of the siblings in her family expresses their faith differently. And so she looks at that too. She has a brother who had become Hasidic. She is not sure she's, you know, she knows she's not Orthodox anymore. She's not sure if she's Jewish in the, you know, really practicing observant sense. She has a sister who has been observant, who's 37 and single and has been waiting to find the right partner for her life. And so she's sort of looking at multiple generations in her family and how those religious expressions have come about and thinking about what she wants to do with her family going forward and what she wants to do with herself. So it's part journey of self-discovery, like what she's finding out is her truth and and the real challenges of saying that out loud of leaving a community that is very supportive but only if you are living up to all of the expectations and um, what do you do when you're sort of out there to borrow the Brene Brown language from last week's show when you're braving the wilderness of you know standing alone in the thing that now is true for you um, and the you know the anger and the resentment that she and her husband have so the book is also about navigating divorce um, about navigating a change of faith about dealing with children throughout all of this um, there are so many complex, issues and pieces of the experience that she has. And she just opens right up um, to talk about them. I thought it was really remarkable um, how much she owns her story and how she's able to put it in context of um, she's not vilifying her husband. She doesn't vilify the Orthodox community or her in-laws, but talks about the pain that she felt and the pain that she knows she caused by leaving. And that thing that happens where when you leave a group or you make a decision that's different from the decision that everybody else has made in the group, it makes them often feel like you've called some sort of referendum on their own life choices. Like, um, I personally feel it as a person who doesn't have kids and doesn't want kids that um, when I talk to people who do have kids about that, they sometimes go on the defensive. Like they feel that I'm saying that because I don't want kids, I'm judging their choice to have them or saying it's a less valid choice. And Tova Mirvis definitely encounters this, that as she chooses to leave orthodoxy, people who remain orthodox feel that 
she's judging their choice and that, that harms the relationships that they have. And some people just outright cut her off. And that's, of course, very painful as well. Um, but the book is really inspiring about taking that risk to say out loud the really big, scary, true things about yourself. Um, and I think if you're interested in religions, especially, this book is great. Um, but it's just a really terrific memoir that does the things that memoir is supposed to do by exposing in depth one person's experiences, but putting them in the context text of, you know, anybody wrestles with these kinds of questions about their life. What do I believe in? Who am I? What are the things that are important to me? And Tova Mirvis just grounds them in her personal story. It's really terrific. Again, it's called The Book of Separation by Tova Mirvis. And how about our first sponsor? Would you like I would me love to, to hear about, about our first sponsor. Okay. Our first sponsor today is Taproot by Keezy Young. It is a haunting love story. It's a comic. It's coming out on September 26th. And let me tell you a little bit about it. Blue is having a hard time moving on. He's in love with his best friend, Hamal, but Blue's also dead. Luckily, Hamal can see ghosts, leaving Blue free to haunt him to his heart's content. But something eerie is happening in town, leaving the local afterlife unsettled. When Blue realizes Hamal's strange ability may put him in danger, Blue has to find a way to protect him, even if it means leaving him. And like I said, it's an original graphic novel coming from Roar Comics. It's written and illustrated by Keezy Young, and it's on sale September 26th, wherever great books are sold. We will have a link to it in the show notes, and we thank them for sponsoring. All right, all right. <gasps> my turn again. You sound excited. I am excited, even though like I just realized like most of my books today are super downers. But so good. I love a downer. Um, my next book is called Solar Bones by Mike McCormick. It is the winner of the Goldsmith Prize, the Irish Book Awards Novel of the Year. It was longlisted for the Man Booker Longlist. Um, and it's, you might wonder, why is a novel about a civil engineer getting so much attention? <laughs> well, because it's one 200-plus page sentence. One sentence. What? Whole book. I kind of like toyed with the idea of burying the lead, like saying it at the end, being like, oh yeah, by the way. But it, it really needs explanation. So this book is absolutely gorgeous. The language is absolutely gorgeous. I'm not going to lie to you. It takes some getting used to. It's basically like a prose poem. It's, you know, so, like they'll go, he'll go several lines with just like a couple of words in each of those lines. And then all of a sudden you'll hit like a page and a half long paragraph and then like a few more, just several lines of a couple words. Um, so it does get some, it takes getting used to the, the rhythm and, you know, the, the way it's, it's uh, written. Um, but it's an absolutely gorgeous story. It's about a man named Marcus Conway. He's middle-aged. Um, it's All Saints Day. He's in Ireland and he's reminiscing about all kinds of things in his life, about the town, about his father. I've never read such beautiful words about tractors before as I have in this book. <laughs> I was just amazed. I mean, he reminisces about his life with his wife when she found out that she was pregnant, and now about his children, about the mistakes that he's made, about how Ireland was on the brink of financial collapse at one point. Um, it reminds me a lot of The Mezzanine by Nicholson Baker, which is like the five-minute escalator ride up to the top of the mezzanine um, in which he talks about all the things in his life. It reminds me a lot of that, but like I said, it's written a little differently. Um, and now there's that Jason Reynolds has a book coming in a few weeks, which is like a one minute elevator ride in which he like talks about all the thoughts that the character is having. It's, it's kind of, a, it's a cool thing. It works. Um, so this book, it's hard work. It's hard work to read this book, but some of the best books, you know, are worth the hard work like The Sound and the Fury. 
Um, it's just, it's beautiful. And if you love language and if you, it might be a great book for someone who loves poetry. It's just fantastic. Again, it's called Solar Bones and it's by Mike McCormick. All right. I'm going to keep up the pretty happy feelings here, I think. Um, (laughs) My next pick, another great memoir this week. It's called Thanks, Obama, My Hopey Changey White House Years by David Litt. Uh, David Litt went to work for President Obama immediately after he graduated college in 2008. And then after a couple years working in the White House, he became one of the youngest speechwriters in White House history, which he did for five years, sort of climbing the ladder from writing boring policy speeches to really big important policy speeches to eventually getting some jokes in at the White House Correspondents' Dinner, which is a really big deal. Um, The book takes us right inside the White House. It's very, very funny. David Litt is hilarious. Um, So you get funny stories about his time in the White House, but also um, very sobering stories about the experience of working in in a White House sort of in general, the running the gamut from excitement to disillusionment, you know, the hope of working in politics and having the opportunity to change people's lives and to make, you know, to contribute to governance that is supposed to make things better, um, but also just the absurdity of Washington, the difficulty of getting things done, um, especially with the situation that Obama had with Congress and actually trying to pass things. But then there are funny stories about like a speech that he's writing where he's tossing in countries that could be examples of a thing, and he tosses in countries without actually getting them fact-checked, and it turns out he accidentally says a thing that's not true and insults a country and like accidentally unknowingly incites a little bit of an international incident um, and gets himself on the bad list uh, with the other writers for a while. Um, if you liked Who Thought This Was a Good Idea by Alyssa Mastermonico earlier this year, you definitely don't want to miss Thanks, Obama. If you haven't read the first one, pick it up and read these two together. These are you know great but very different. The Mastermonico is a memoir that's also kind of self-helpy and like how to be a woman having a career. And this is really solidly grounded in memoir, telling stories from the White House. It is very funny. It's also very self-deprecating. Um, and I'm not going to lie, I read it a couple of months ago when my election feelings were even rawer than they are now. And um, it made me tear up a little. It made me, you know, miss when the things that Lit writes about as being worries were the worries that we had instead of like the world being on fire. Um, But he also makes a case that despite what the election was like, and despite what things can feel like right now, that um, Obama's legacy will outlive what the current president is doing. Um, If you just came off of the Hillary Clinton memoir, this might give you a lot of feelings, but it's also, it is really funny and a fun, fast read. Um, And it's cool to read, you know, especially young voices coming out of a White House experience. Um, David Litt is like so much younger than I am um, and has experienced so many interesting things. And it's a really fun book. So again, it's called Thanks Obama, My Hopey Changey White House Years by David Litt. But has he had a chicken tender Captain Crunch waffle? I mean. Really? If only Hillary were coming to Richmond on her book tour, I would offer to take her out for chicken and waffles. <laughs> <laughs> uh, speaking of lit, we have a little sponsorship spot now for a book riot 
product that is called Lit Chat that I am very excited about. We made it in partnership with the folks at Abrams Notary, and it's a deck of cards intended to spark conversation between book lovers. So that works well for us because, you know, Lib, sometimes we have a hard time figuring out things to say to each other. I don't know what to tell you. (laughs) Um, uh, So we made Lit Chat because we know that the only thing that readers like as much as reading books is talking about books with other readers. And the questions on the cards invite you to explore your individual reading habits and experiences and to imagine yourself through the lenses of characters and stories. This is great for doing with your book club. Amanda told me she did it with her book club last week and that it was fun. Your best friends, your podcast hosts, your family, classmates, library patrons, whatever. Um, We hope that they'll shed new light on your reading life and bring you closer to your fellow book lovers. The deck has 50 cards. They are die cut in the shape of book covers. It's a really beautiful design and an awesome, um, well designed and put together portable slip case that makes it easy to take around with you. Um, to play, you just select a card at random, read the question aloud to a group, and go around the room. And there are questions about your reading habits, about your personal book-related memories, about your, your literary opinions, and some questions that are choose-your-own-adventure that ask you to choose books and characters for hypothetical situations. So you can learn more by going to bookriot.com slash litchat. Um, the deck comes out on October 3rd. We're taking pre-orders now. And if you pre-order and claim your pre-order through the form at bookriot.com slash litchat. You'll also get a free sticker that says read really big that you can slap onto your bumper or your laptop or whatever. Your forehead. Um, so yeah, sure. Uh, so before we move on, Lib, I thought maybe we would play a round or two of lit chat. Are you, are you ready? Do you, are you feeling uh, like, a, are you in a disclosing mood or? or... Sure. I didn't okay. study, but when have I ever studied? It's not a thing you can study for. You are the you are the textbook for this. <laughs> <laughs> you are your own um. guide. Um, okay, we're just gonna go in right off the bat. What is the worst book you've ever read? Did you finish it, and why were you reading it in the first place? Path of Bunny. <laughs> That's um, a classic. Yeah. Speaking of classics, okay. So I don't like. I don't know if I have a worst. Like I, I can't. Put a label on it. However, oh, you, okay, so don't at me, but <laughs> I hate Wuthering Heights. I hate that book. I stopped reading it. F those moody people. Like, <laughs> I just, I, I think I was like 20, and I just read Anna Karenina, and it was amazing, and I was like, I'm going to keep reading some classics. I didn't like it at all. And I put books down a lot, especially like when I'm like, I got to get to something else now, um, but I most often I will pick them back up and finish them, even if I don't enjoy them. But like, I've never, I never picked this back up. I just, I didn't like it at all. I guess it was too moody for me or something. I don't know. But what about you? (laughs) Oh, okay. Well, I will validate your Wuthering Heights feelings. I also did not finish it. But the worst book I ever read, which I did finish, was called Elliot's Banana. (laughs) And... (laughs) I'm t- I Google it. I, I tried to write about it in a book riot post a couple years ago and I couldn't find it. So I hope it is mercifully out of print. <laughs> but I, the reason I was reading it is that I was stuck in the Kansas City airport. This is when I was in college. So it would have been like the early 2000s. Um, I was stuck in the Kansas City airport trying to fly back to Chicago for school and it was winter and we kept getting delayed. So <gasps> I finished. Cover. Oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. I finished 
the book that I had packed for the whole trip. Like it's only an hour long flight from Kansas City to Chicago. So I had one book in my bag and I finished it just waiting in the airport because the delays were so long and we were just getting more and more delayed. So I gave up and went to the little, like there's not an actual bookstore in KCI. There's just like Hudson News or the equivalent that had, you know, a spinner of like 20 books at the time. I don't know how this made it on there. Like knowing what I know now about how books get into airport bookstores and how expensive it can be to get a book featured. I don't know. I have no idea what was going on with this book. But I was looking for something like I'd been in the airport for a million hours and I was looking for something light and fluffy. And the cover kind of looked like, you know, like a Jennifer Weiner kind of, you know, for lack of a better term, chick lit situation. Like that's exactly what I wanted. So I picked it up and I think I read the whole thing there waiting for my flight to finally take off. We were just there for hours. It is awful. Uh, well, I don't remember. Someone like, else I, might love it. <laughs> I don't remember much about it because I've blocked the experience, but it involves um, self-love with a banana and mm. like relationship jealousy. This is not a like feminist work of women's fiction. <laughs> and I just remember being like, this is what it's come to. Like, if this plane goes down, they're going to find me with this book called Elliot's Banana in my backpack. Um, I kept it for a couple of years just so I could, like, show it to friends and be like, look at this thing that I read one time. Um, and it at some point, it got called out of my bookshelf. But that is hands down, hands down. Um, uh-huh. Do you want to do one more? Sure. This is a long show. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, you know what? We're not going to top Elliot's banana today, so we'll save the other questions for the next time we get to talk about lit chat. If this game sounds like fun to you, but which not I hope Elliot's it does, banana. Let's not ever talk about that. Let's again. not ever. We can block that from our collective memories now. Um, Bookriot.com/slash/litchat or click the link in your show notes for more information about it. Okay, roll on. More books. Tell yes. me. Tell me. Um, this is I think would be a great book for a book club. Um, because it will spark lots of discussion. It is The Best Kind of People by Zoe Whittle. It's a finalist for the Giller Prize. It's about the Woodbury family. They are the seemingly perfect family. They live in a very affluent part of Connecticut, in a giant house in a neighborhood that was established by the father's grandfather. Um, You have George. He is a science teacher at a prep school. Uh, Several years before the book takes place, he stopped a gunman who came into the school, like tackled him uh, and stopped him before he hurt anyone. And since then, he's been voted teacher of the year. He was on the national news. He's very famous now. And everyone's just like that. George is a stand up guy. Um, His wife is Joan. She is an ER nurse. They have a teenage daughter. She named Sadie. She is a senior at the prep school. And uh, Sadie has a much older brother named Andrew. He's a lawyer in New York City. They just seem to have it all. Everything is going their way. And uh, the book, uh, the present day parts take place. It's Sadie's 17th birthday. She's skinny dipping in the lake with her boyfriend at night. um, And they see some uh, police lights flashing near their house and and they go to see what's going on. Uh, Meanwhile, inside, George and his wife are having dinner and he just casually says to her something about how he thinks people are out to get him. And before he can even really explain what that means, the cops are knocking on the door. Um, it turns out that George has been charged with sexual misconduct by girls from his school. Um, and and life as they know it is forever changed. 
Um, the story is sort of seen from the inside of these allegations. It's all about the family, George's family. Um, Sadie becomes an outcast. You know, she and, and her mother, you know, they don't, and her brother, they don't know what to do. They're like, of course he didn't do this. You know, you know, why they don't believe that he could do that, you know, and then they hear other things. And, you know, Joan starts wondering if, like, does he have a brain tumor? Did he have a brain tumor that made him do these kind of things? Um, Sadie, you know, doesn't want to believe that it's true, but one of the accusers is her best friend's little sister. Um, and she's having a really hard time at school now. People are egging their house. Um, Andrew comes home to support them and support their father, but it brings up a lot of bad memories for him. He was more than happy to get away from Connecticut as soon as he possibly could. Um, and the rumors keep flying. Men's rights organizations are, are hounding them, you know, saying like, you know, all women are liars and, you know, stand with us and we'll help support you. Um, and journalists are outside the house all the time. And it's just like this question, like, you know, how can this pillar of the community, somebody who stopped a gunman, also be accused of these crimes? Like, you know, how is that possible? Um, and, you know, it's about secrets and it's about, you know, family and, and guilt. It's about rape culture and crime. Um, it's a, like I said, I think it's a really, you know, interesting book for a book club discussion. Um, I like to go and look at reviews of things after I read them. And I have saw a few on Goodreads that people felt like sometimes the characters were unlikable, but I find that to be realistic. Like, when you say to me, here's a perfect family who doesn't have any problems, like, I find that to be unrealistic, you know. So I like characters that are flawed and, you know, have issues and, and you know, don't know what decisions to make. Um, it's it's quite fantastic, and I think that she's a great writer, and she's just probably going to get better from here. Again, it's called The Best Kind of People, and it's by Zoe Whittle. All right. I'm going to bring the mood down now for, <laughs> for one of the best books of 2016 that is out in paperback this week and is well well worth the time. It's a small book with a huge impact. It's called The Story of a Brief Marriage by Anuk Arud Pragasam. This is set in Sri Lanka where they are like 25 years into a civil war um, and it all takes place on one day. The main character is named Dinesh. Um, he's been living in a camp where like bombs and shells are just falling like clockwork. It's devastating and it's been devastating for a really long time. He and the people around him are living both in the, the trauma actively and dealing with essentially PTSD. Um, and this uh, on the day that the story takes place, he's approached by an old man who suggests that Dinesh should marry the old man's daughter, Ganga, um, and that they should do this for reasons of self-preservation, basically, that if they're married, Dinesh will be less likely to be conscripted into the army, um, and that it will also protect Ganga because she won't be a single woman unprotected in this very violent world. Um, so Dinesh and Ganga spend the day together um, in this just... I mean, devastated is the word I keep coming back to, but in this very bleak environment, considering together and in their own heads and hearts, like what this would mean, um, what would it mean to get married and to reach for intimacy and connection in the midst of what's happening in their world? Um, could you even do it? Like they are having trouble eating and sleeping and meeting their basic needs, could they join together in a way that would be meaningful? Um, and would it be life-affirming in some way to do this? It's very, like, this is a very quiet book, but it doesn't need to be loud because what happens, the world is just 
very powerfully created. Anugard Pragasam sets the scene in a, in a way that's really visceral and he doesn't have to lean on, you know, like heavy descriptions of what's happening. You just feel like you're dropped right into it and are there with these characters, like the, the quietness and the way that the language is rolled out gives you a sense of sort of this numbness that the characters have from having lived in this place, in this war for so long. Um, By far not an easy reading experience. This is not like a book that you're going to walk away from saying that you had fun reading it, but there's a lot to chew on and a lot to consider. Um, And if you like are in a book club that likes to go to that place, this would be a good selection as well. But one of the most satisfying reading experiences that I had in 2016, it's called The Story of a Brief Marriage by Anouk Arud Pragasam, and it is out in paperback this week. Definitely one of the best books I read last year. <sighs> Man, but I feel like I read it years ago now. I know. <laughs> I know. We're in that point in one year where we're like late enough in this year that books that came out last year just feel like they were forever ago. Yeah, because now we're reading books that are coming out next year. So I probably did read it like two years It's all very now. confusing. <laughs> um, before we get into the last set of new books for the week, I want to tell you about our last sponsor. It's The World of Laura Ingalls Wilder by Marta McDowell. This has been published by Timber Press. This is a revealing expo- exploration of Laura Ingalls, Wa- Ingalls Wilder's deep connection with the natural world. Marta McDowell, who's a best-selling author, shares intimate details about the pioneer writer. It follows the trail of the Little House series from New York and Wisconsin to the Dakotas and Missouri. There are excerpts. Man, I'm having a hard time with words today. There are excerpts from Wilder's books, letters, and diaries to bring to light a profound appreciation that she had for plants, animals, and the landscapes at the heart of her world. So sort of a different look into the life that uh, Laura Ingalls Wilder lived and how the world around her inspired those stories. The book features beloved illustrations by Garth Williams and Helen Sewell. The world of Laura Ingalls Wilder is a treasure for anyone enchanted by Laura's wild and beautiful life. Here is an amazing number for you. Laura Ingalls Wilder's books have sold more than 50 million copies worldwide. And that's just bonkers. Obviously, generations of uh, readers have come up on reading her stories. It's just one of America's most treasured stories and one of our most treasured pioneers. So if you have a Little House fan in your house, maybe you are the Little House fan, Definitely pick up The World of Laura Ingalls Wilder by Marta McDowell. Uh, We'll have a link to it in the show notes, or you can find it wherever books are sold. Thanks to them for sponsoring. My turn. All right, bring it home. Yeah, I want to do kind of just like a quick twofer shout out here. Um, A couple that have great sequels, or a couple of sequels. I've read one of them, but I wanted to mention the other one uh, that are out today. One is... One Dark Throne by Kendara Blake, which is the follow-up to Three Dark Crowns, another one of my favorite books of last year. It is the second in the Three Dark Crowns series. Um, it's dark fantasy. I'm going to tell you about the first book. Um, it's dark fantasy, and I mean dark. Um, it's about triplet sisters who are separated when they're very young, and they are each raised to learn special different abilities uh, in magic. One controls the elements, one is a poisoner, and one can control nature. Uh, They are taught all these things because when they are 16, they are brought back together and they have to fight to the death to become queen. The last sister standing is the new queen. It's something that they do in every generation. In every generation, triplet sisters are born and this happens. Um, But these young women, they are strong and not entirely sold on the whole death thing. Like... 
not not really into like killing each other or being killed. Um, so they're they're gonna fight this. Uh, and so the second one is one dark crown, and it is just as good. But I'm not gonna tell you what happens in that one um, <laughs> because that would ruin it. But the other book that I want to point out, um, the sequel to Infomocracy is out, yes. uh, and it's called Null States, which I have not read. Have you read Null States yet? I have not. Okay. I'm so excited. It's by Malka Older, um, and like I said, sequel to Infomocracy. Infomocracy was the cyberpunk political thriller about a powerful search engine monopoly called Information that changed the way people vote, um, and there is a new election coming up in the book, and corruption is everywhere, and in the second one, like I said, I haven't read it yet, but it's set after the election in Infomocracy, um, and more craziness happens. So, uh, she's awesome, and I wanted to shout that out. So, again, One Dark Throne by Kendara Blake, and Null States by Malka Older. And, awesome, it's to you now. All right. Uh, my last pick this week, I haven't read this. It was one of my most anticipated titles for the fall, and I could not get my hands on a galley, so I will be reading it along with our listeners this week. It's Reset, My Fight for Inclusion and Lasting Change by Ellen Powell. Among many other things, she has been the CEO of Reddit, where she took action to change what kinds of behavior were acceptable um, online. She banned revenge porn and unauthorized nude photos, and those actions spurred other large media sites to follow suit. She shut down parts of Reddit, which if you're familiar with Reddit at all, is a big deal over online harassment. And she and seven other women tech leaders have formed uh, an organization called Project Include that's a nonprofit that works for diversity and inclusion in tech. Ellen Powell occupies the unique situation of being um, both a woman and a person of color in tech um, that is a, a double minority um, on many measures because of what the world of technology looks like. And so she's working for uh, ending discrimination against women and against people of color in the world of technology and also in the larger online experience because her work with places online like Reddit isn't just about the world of tech, but about how the internet gets made and how we behave or are expected to behave or are allowed to behave online. Um, it's supposed to be a really great book. I've read um, several essays by her over the last couple of years about these same issues, and she certainly has a perspective that very few people have from having worked in so many parts of technology and the development of online culture. So I will be picking this up very soon. It's Reset, My Fight for Inclusion and Lasting Change by Ellen Powell. All right. We did it. We did it. Those are the new books out this week. What are you going to read next? Um, I think I, well, I'm actually, been, I've been skimming the Queen in 3D book that Brian May, the guitarist for Queen, put out. It comes with like 3D glasses and it's amazing. Ooh. I'm a huge, huge fan of Queen. But I think uh, next I will read, I'm like looking at my pile to see, um... I think I will read The Forest of a Thousand Lanterns, which has the most gorgeous cover, and I can't remember the author's name. I'm looking it up right now. Um, <laughs> there it is. Julie C. Dow. Um, it's the first book in the Rise of the Empress series, and it says, The Wrath and the Dawn meets Snow White and the Huntsman in this dark and mystical East Asian fantasy reimagining of the evil queen legend about one peasant's girl's, one peasant girl's quest to become empress. Right on. I like cool. a retelling. So, what are you going to read? 
Uh, I'm going to read Walking to Listen, which is by Andrew Forstoffel. Um, It's a memoir. I picked it up when I was in Jackson, Wyoming a couple weeks ago at a gorgeous little independent bookstore called Valley Bookstore, and it had a shelf talker. It was on the staff picks. Um, So it's about a guy... uh, the author, Andrew Fostaffel, who when he was 23, he was like out of college, he was ready to become an adult, but he didn't really know how. And so he decided that he would sort of set off on a journey instead. He walks out the door of his home in Chad's Ford, Pennsylvania with a backpack, an audio recorder, his copies of Whitman and Rilke, and a sign that read Walking to Listen. Um, And he went out on a cross-country journey. He's walking toward the Pacific, going through an Appalachian winter and a Mojave summer, and it says he uh, met beasts inside, fear, loneliness, doubt, but he also encountered incredible kindness from strangers. Thousands of people shared their stories with him and sometimes confided their prejudices too, and he's he didn't know how to respond. He didn't know how to try to find unity and diversity. And the book is about the experience that he had walking across the country and talking to people, but moreover, listening to them. Um, I haven't read it yet, so I, I don't know what I'm going to think or um, what the you know outcomes or morals of the story will be, but it certainly sounds interesting. And I'm always pretty easily persuaded by a good uh, staff picks shelf talker, so I'm excited to find out what it's all about. So that's our show this week. It's been a little wild and wooly, but we got here. Um, we hope that you will check out episode one and now episodes two, and I think episode three might be out by the time you listen to this of recommended, go to bookriot.com slash recommended for more info. Thank you to our sponsors, Taproot and the world of Laura Ingalls Wilder. We'll have links to both of those in the show notes. You can find them wherever books are sold. And if you want to check out Lit Chat and pre-order yours, go to bookriot.com slash lit chat to do that today, or, you know, talk to your favorite bookseller about it. If you have a note for us, you can send us those at all the books at bookriot.com or talk to us on Twitter. I'm Rebecca Shinsky, S C H I N S K Y. Liberty is Miss Liberty. And if you want to give us a little tip, you can leave a rating or review on Apple Podcasts, which just gives juice to the Apple algorithm and helps other folks to find their way to our show. And as much as we would love to tell you about more books today, we just don't have the time. But you can read about more titles out now in the show notes at bookriot.com slash all the books, as well as find a link to our weekly new books newsletter. And in the meantime, in the meantime, happy happy reading. reading.